Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more info at DesertCityChurch.com. We're going to get started in Matthew chapter 5. It's been said of Scripture that when we view Scripture, it's much like uh, holding up a diamond into a light. And as you hold up a diamond and you rotate the diamond, uh, the light shines through uh, with different uh, rays of color, different hues. And as you rotate the diamond, you see the different colors, and every angle is a different experience. And so so it's true with Scripture as we read it. Scripture has a way of uh, speaking to us from different angles as we view it. Scripture has a way of speaking to us at different points in our journey. Uh, We might be living in different cultures, and yet the message of Scripture speaks to us all. It's also important to think of that metaphor as we approach familiar passages in Scripture, Scriptures that we've uh, read our whole life, that we've heard, that are popular stories. Because as we rotate it and look at it from different angles, uh, God speaks to us in new ways, ways that are grounded in his truth but still fresh. And this series uh, that we've been going through in the month of January, we've been looking at some of these familiar passages. We looked at the story of the Good Samaritan last week. We looked at what is the greatest commandment, and Jesus responds by saying, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The same as today, we'll, we'll look at another passage that's probably very familiar to many of you. Maybe it's not, but maybe it is. It's actually a passage that we've looked at here as a church. And my hope is that as we read through this passage, that God would speak to you in a new way. As we look at it from different angles, uh, you have an experience and an encounter with God that's transformative. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. And this passage is found right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's formative for our, our identity as followers of Jesus. Jesus is talking and he says this. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. One of my favorite authors is a man named Eugene Peterson. And uh, I love reading his books, but what's really interesting is that he wrote uh, a paraphrase of the entire Bible. Uh, One of his life's works was uh, writing scripture um, in today's language. And uh, I love to read it as devotional, but he says this of the same passage, his paraphrase of Matthew 5, 13. He says, let me tell you why you are here. 
You are to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Now, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you, do not, uh, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Beautiful words. The series that we're in is called The Art of Neighboring, and we're talking about what does it mean to actually love our neighbors, those who live in community around us, those on our street, those who are next door. We believe that this call of Jesus uh, starts locally, starts with those who are around us. And as we consider the art of neighboring this week, there's two images that Jesus talks about in this passage. The first is light, the first is salt, and the second is light. Salt and light. Salt's important. Uh, we use salt uh, almost as a luxury today. But in the ancient world, uh, salt was essential to life. You could actually trace some of the ancient societies to their proximity to salt mines. Salt equaled life to them. The Greeks called salt divine. For them, it was this giver of life. The Romans had this jingle, and it's in Latin, so I'm totally going to butcher it. But nil utilius sole et salte. There is nothing more useful than sun and salt. Sole et salte. This jingle that the Romans would use. And then as Jesus is talking to those who follow him, he picks up on this language of salt and of light. It's almost as if Jesus is saying to his followers, uh, you have the potential to be the most useful thing here on earth. When you follow me, your life is given as a gift to the community around you. So let it salt it, sale, salt and light. We've talked about this before, but salt uh, in the ancient world, there's a few things it did. One, it was connected with purity. Salt is something that purifies. Um, it's something that preserves and protects store, stored meat. Um, I went to college in Indiana. A bunch of my roommates uh, were hunters. Um, in Indiana, there's a lot of deer. And sorry for the vegetarians in the room. This is probably going to gross you out. But we would have deer meat year-round in our freezer. We had this massive freezer on our back porch that was just stocked with deer meat. We had deer tacos, deer steaks, deer jerky, everything you could think of. Um, and, and my friends, I mean, they were like total Indiana farm hunters. And... Like, I remember one time they found a deer that was dead on the side of the road. And they went out and examined it and realized that it was still fresh. Picked it up, chopped it up, put it in our freezer. This is the kind of life I lived in college. Um, so that year, it was my junior year, we lived and we had this, this freezer in our back, on our back porch. We stored meat. I lived off of my friend's deer meat and ramen noodles. And then we had, a, we had a friend that worked at Panera, and they would bring us like bagels at the end of the week, like leftover bagels. And that was like how I survived that year. Um, but we had this big freezer where we stored our, our food, our meat. In the ancient world, uh, there was no place to store meat. 
Salt was absolutely essential because it preserved and it protected meat. It allowed it to be stored. It protected it from corruption, from bacteria. It purifies and it preserves. This image would have been known by the hearers of this word from Jesus. You were the salt of the earth. But then it does something else. It enhances flavor, right? Salt enhances flavor, even in the ancient world. But for us, I mean, that's exactly what we use salt for, uh, to enhance flavor on food. There's a kind of looking at how salt works, um, researching salt, I guess, because I'm a, a nerd. Um, but if you Google the Monochemical Census Center in Philadelphia, they start talking about salt as this neurological magic. They say, uh, salt makes food taste better, right? Well, how does that happen? Some flavor compounds are too subtle to detect, but when you add even just a teeny amount of salt, neurological magic happens. Suddenly, our taste receptors can detect flavors they weren't able to sense before. That's interesting. Like, salt doesn't necessarily have a flavor to it, but it helps us detect flavors that we don't sense before. Followers of Jesus lend flavor to the world around them. Our task as followers of Jesus, as the salt of the earth, is to help people sense the work of God that they didn't sense before in their life. We think about our communities when we think about our neighborhoods. God is there. God is present. God is at work. God is moving in their lives. And the followers of Jesus get together. We gather. And we help enhance that godliness. We help people identify this is where God is at work. We help people sense things that they didn't sense before. This God that is at work in their life. Jesus says, this is how the world changes. This group of people who are committed to his teachings come together, they pull together, and they say, we're going to be the salt of the earth, enhancing the God flavor of our communities around us. Fortunately, I'd say Christians, uh, we're kind of connected with the opposite of this. I don't, I don't know if like, the church is thought of as like, a, something that adds flavor uh, to society, to culture. We wonder like, what, what the church is... Uh, thought of today when we consider our identity here, even in our country, do people say, oh, that, we need some more of that. Like, that adds flavor to our community. That's going to make everything just taste better. Um, I had a wedding up in Michigan a couple years back, and it was one of my wife's friends. Um, went up to Michigan, and we were up, way up on Lake Michigan, this beautiful setting. And uh, it was uh, her, my, my wife's lifelong friend from childhood and, uh, and this, this man that she was marrying, got to know him a little bit and went in to do the wedding. Um, one of the things that caught me off guard was uh, this uh, gentleman, uh, great guy. Uh, his, his wedding party was like this reunion of his college fraternity. And it wasn't just uh, his college fraternity, but a lot of his groomsmen grew up in Michigan, were frat guys from University of Michigan. Um, pretty wild bunch. He went to University of Colorado in Boulder, and his frat friends from Colorado Boulder came out. So it was like two colleges uh, combined uh, for this wedding party, which was really like a reunion, and it was on, right? And so like I show up, and I'm the pastor, and getting ready to do this wedding. And one of the things that we did, one of the activities, is that we went golfing together. And I remember there was probably about a dozen guys or so, 
And I didn't really know anyone, and I show up, and they put me in a foursome, and it's like we're kind of hanging out like on the green, chipping and putting, getting ready to go. I hear one of the guys saying, oh man, we got that pastor guy in our group. <laughs> Not knowing, probably expecting an older gentleman, and I'm standing right behind him like, you know, like, oh, all right. See what my reputation is here. Um, and, uh, you know, I, and, and immediately, like, I want to go into pastor mode, like, I wonder what happened in this man's life that he would think that pastor would be so, so boring. Um, but it's interesting, uh, as a pastor, when you run into people who are having a conversation and how all of a sudden uh, the guard goes up, right? And I think it's probably true with uh, people who are dedicated followers of Jesus. There's this reputation, like, I don't think people say, like, oh, this place is about to become more flavorful because they're here, <laughs> right? Um, there's this reputation that we have as followers of Jesus. Jesus tells us to be the salt of the earth, to add flavor to the world around us. And unfortunately, there's this perception, whether fair or not, uh, that we do the opposite. We're the, we're the party poopers. Um, this is something I think Christians have really struggled with throughout history, uh, we see in the early church how Christianity spreads throughout the Roman Empire. It's very compelling. Uh, it's very uh, attractive to people. Um, it's very countercultural. Then at some point around the fourth century, uh, Rome becomes uh, a Christian empire. Constantine has this whole vision, um, and all of a sudden you're no longer persecuted to be a Christian at this time. And the church, something interesting happens. The church kind of slows down. The urgency of these disciples of Jesus kind of come to a standstill. And there's all sorts of uh, discussion on whether or not Rome becoming a Christian empire was a good thing or not. There's pros and cons. But after Constantine dies, this Christian emperor, there's a, eventually an emperor that replaces him named Julian. And Julian is not a Christian. And he misses the old days when Rome was this pagan empire. And so what we find is that he's trying to figure out, like, what are these Christians up to in this world and we've lost a little bit of our edge. And so he starts to introduce a bunch of these like old pagan gods back into the Roman Empire. But it's interesting as he's interacting with Christians and he's trying to figure out what Christians are up to in this world. He has this observation that's recorded. And he says this about the Christians at this point. He says, have you looked at these Christians closely? Hollowed-eyed and pale-cheeked, they brood their lives away, unpaired by ambition. The sun shines for them, but they do not see it. The earth offers them its fullness, but they desire it not. All their desire is to renounce and to suffer that they may come to die. Sounds miserable. Um, and like part of us, like as Christians, we know like, oh, there's something going on here where as followers of Jesus, we're called to take up our cross, right? We're called to come and die. Like, so there's, there's one aspect to that that's like, that's right. But then there's another aspect that's like, that doesn't sound like a compelling group of people that are influencing the world for Jesus. There's a judge named Oliver Wendell Holmes, a couple hundred years ago wrote, I might have entered ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. <laughs> As your pastor, like I'm prone to like depression and like negative thoughts and all that. If I ever get to that point, please, someone help me. Scottish author, Robert Louis Stevenson, uh, you would know him for his works, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and Treasure Island. 
once entered into his diary as if he was recording an extraordinary phenomenon. I've been to church today and I am not depressed. <laughs> Hopefully that's not the experience here. Um, but unfortunately there are, there are these, we're, we're connected not with being the, the flavor, the, the flavor enhancing community of people on earth. And there's one element that's like okay, like we're not supposed to always just be happy. Like it's okay to have emotions of sorrow and sadness and grief. Like all of that is very natural. And we, we see that even in our scripture and Psalms and Lamentations that the people of God can handle that. And there's elements of our calling to be willing to suffer, to be willing to sacrifice. But I had this revelation even just last night preparing this sermon. I get to get up today and I get to proclaim the gospel and no one's going to persecute me. And I think in our culture, uh, there's this false sense of suffering that we sometimes have, a false sense of sacrifice. And what happens is, as we're called to come and die, as we're called to give our lives to Christ, it doesn't mean that we become miserable people. We're called to be the salt of the earth, the flavor-enhancing element. Jesus says, you are to be the salt of the earth draw attention to what God is doing in the community around you. To be a compelling group of people full of the fruit of, of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Jesus says, you are to be the salt of the earth. If salt loses its saltiness, it's just thrown out and trampled on the road. Eugene Peterson's words, again, let me tell you why you are here. To bring out God flavors of the earth. This is what the world needs. A church that brings out the God flavors in our communities. Our neighbors, as we love them, the art of neighboring requires us being the salt of the earth. The second image, so sale and then sole, light. The image of light. A lot has been said of light in scripture. God is light, and in him there is no darkness. A light has come. We talked about this on Christmas. A light has come into a dark world. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A number of things come to mind. Obviously, some of these are, are easy, understandable. Light, light brings hope. right? We have this saying, uh, I can see the blank at the end of the tunnel. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Like light, to be light is to, to point people towards something better. There's hope that comes with light. There's also security that comes with light. This is what I mean by this. Uh, Marcy was out of town for a couple nights this week, and I had three of the four children. Um, and every night, going to sleep, I can pretty much count on Ezra, our three-year-old, getting out of his bed and coming into my bed and waking me up. Now, I have strange fears. Sometimes the dark spooks me. And if you ever had a three-year-old running around your house in the middle of the night, and you're half asleep, and you wake, and you just see this little head go through the hallway, it's kind of freaky. Um, but then Ezra would come to bed. Every, he, he, would, he would be scared. He'd come to bed, climb into bed with me, and uh, he, he would always be afraid. He'd want to be near me. Um, and usually, like, Marcy's home, and I just act like I'm sleeping, and she has to deal with it. Uh, but she wasn't there, so I had to, had to deal with Ezra. 
Um, but you never, hear, you never hear Ezra say something like, Dad, I'm afraid of the light. Can we turn off the light? It's always, Dad, I'm afraid of the dark, right? There's this fear that comes because in the dark, uh, our imagination runs wild. In the dark, we, we can't see what's in the room. Light reveals what is there, and there's some security in that. Jesus, you were the light of the world. You, you bring light to darkness as the followers of Jesus. Light is guidance and direction. Um, we're able to navigate oceans. We're able to navigate uh, journeys with light. Light is something that reveals a path. But also it represents God's presence. Light represents God's presence in the world. Uh, I've heard it said that um, psychology, you notice that people enter into a room at night, a dark room, they tend to sit by a lamp. They usually don't go sit in a dark corner. There's something calming about being near light and darkness. It's the same thing with God's presence. God's presence is something that we sit in and it brings peace. As the light of the world, we're called to carry this presence of God with us into the darkness of the world around us. Salt and light, the sole et sale. When it comes to loving our neighbors, when it comes to neighboring well, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, church. And these are the most useful things. We're in the series, The Art of Neighboring, with a number of our partner churches, uh, Arcadia City, which is a, a church plant much like us that meets down in Arcadia, and then McDowell Mountain, uh, which is a church that I was on staff at for a number of years. They're both doing this series, and one of the things that we've noticed is we've, we've had these homework assignments where we're challenging you to go out and to learn your neighbors' names, and we're challenging you to go out and invite your neighbors to hang out. Some stories have been coming back. Uh, this week, uh, Jody and Nathan, I don't think they're here today, probably because of the rain, I'm sure. Um, they, they, took, uh, they took brownies and cookies to their neighbors this week. I shared last week about this pastor, Michael Fay, who did the same. Um, there's a video that was captured by a couple from McDowell Mountain that I wanted to show today. And uh, if our technology works, I'll show this, and then we'll uh, wrap things up after that. But let's watch this video. I'm Tony Rohr, and this is my wife, Jamie, and we've been going to McDowell Mountain Church for about six years now. Living in Arizona, there are so many walls built, and it's so different than my experience growing up in the Midwest. We really are not a great state for community. In the summer, it's blazing hot, and you come home, the garage opens, your car pulls in, the garage shuts. And we felt really bad about that, the fact that we were living around other people and we had no sense of who they were or where they were from or what their story was. And we wanted them to know that we were available should they ever need a cup of sugar or CPR or something like that, we're around. It was a day that I had been operating most of the day and I, I came home and Jamie has, the kitchen is turned into this like massive pie manufacturing center. She's punched out little leaves to put around the edges of the crust and just like a thing of beauty. And I'm like, what's going on? And she said, I'm baking pies for the neighbors. And the kids were up in their rooms doing their homework and I hollered to them, hey, Jamie's baking pies. 
we're gonna give them to the neighbors. Are you guys coming with us? And they were all in just like that. It had really been on my heart, like reach out to people. And these are the people that are closest to us that we see driving their cars by and sometimes we see their kids and they see our kids out on the driveway all the time. And so I just kind of felt the sense like we need to do something. And I love to bake, I love to cook. So it just seemed natural when I was making pies for our family to add a couple extra pies and go meet our neighbors. Every single neighbor came to their door, opened it, invited us into their homes and shared a little bit about themselves. The house at the very top of the street, you never see signs of life in there other than lights on. And so we just picked a door to knock on and they came and, and opened the door. And so we met everybody. We, they invited us in, sit down on their sofa and they, looked at the pie and they said, I cannot believe you guys brought us a pie. We were just talking about this woman who's very dear to us, that every year her signature move was to bake pies for everybody. And she died this summer and they were literally minutes before we walked up lamenting that they would not have her pies this year. And we came to the door with a pie and they just were floored by that. They couldn't believe it. That was really spectacular, how God enabled us to minister to them just a little bit in, in their time when they were missing this person that had been so important to them in their life. I remember those bracelets, they were really popular like 20 years ago, what would Jesus do? And I never really thought too much about what that meant. And now that makes a lot of sense to me. You know, if, if Jesus lived on this street here in, in Scottsdale, what would he do? He would get to know his neighbors. And that doesn't mean that you have to, you know, go build a barn in your neighbor's backyard or something like that. Just say hello to them. Just know who they are, know them by their name and care about them as a person. And that will make a huge difference. Well, I would just say, Baking pies and taking them to the neighbors is not something that I would just do on my own. I'm not the most outgoing person, but my family is. And so I knew I had the support system at home that would help us do that. And so that is really nice to be able to connect with my partner and do something that I might not be comfortable doing on my own. I love people and I love to reach out, but it's nice to be able to do it with family. And so our girls are busy doing their homework. They have crazy schedules and they have so many activities going on. And it was amazing to see them light up and them see our neighbors opening the door and asking them, what, what's your name? And how old are you? And where do you go to school? They loved it. And I think that is what impressed me the most was not even something that we did for the neighbors. It was what happened with us. And we bonded more as a family and we got to know our neighbors and we knew that they cared about us. And just seeing the kids like get comfortable with our neighbors and feel good about something that we were doing to show our love to others was really amazing that day. Great story. Now I'm hungry, ready to eat. Um, 
this art of neighboring, uh, we're, we're challenging you to do things that are they're very simple and yet very uncomfortable at the same time. Uh, week one, we talked about learning your neighbor's names. Week two, we talked about inviting them uh, to some sort of get together. Um, week three, here's your homework. Uh, it's to give something to a neighbor, to give something to a neighbor. Um, so we're, we're following this acronym LIGHT, yep, because I'm a pastor, make, everything's an acronym. Uh, but to learn to invite and to give. For this couple, it was a pie. For Jody and Nathan, it was cookies. What can you give to your neighbors this week to be salt and light? To be salt and light. Um, the question that we're going to reflect on today, what can you give your neighbor this week that would be salt and light? Very practical step to loving those around you. Band's going to come back up. Every Sunday, we, we close our time with communion. We do this because communion for us uh, centers us around the story of what God is up to in this world. The story of salvation, the story of God loving us so much that he came into the world uh, to give us life. All the brokenness, all the ways that we miss the mark um, are absorbed on the cross. Jesus breaks his body open and he pours his blood out. Through the breaking of that body and the pouring out of that blood, we find healing, we find salvation, we find eternal life. Whenever we gather together, we remember what Jesus did for us. We go now to communion. But today as we head to communion, we remember this great story that we're a part of. We wrestle with this question, what does it mean to be salt and light, to love our neighbors well? My hope is that today as we come to the table and when we do this act of remembrance of God's love for us, we make in our hearts commitments to do the same thing to others. That we'd break ourselves open, that we'd pour ourselves out to bring life to people around us. So we invite you to the table today. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're invited. Uh, as we sing this last song, feel free to move around the room, take communion as you are ready, take it individually, and then I'll uh, close us with a benediction. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your love. Lord, as we consider the world around us, we consider relational strife, we consider uh, just terrifying news that we're constantly bombarded with, as we consider um, brokenness in our communities, as we consider the strife we have in our own families, and our own marriages, we're reminded that all creation aches, Lord. This place is not right. And yet, you haven't given up on this world. You're deeply involved in it. You're doing something about it. You've sent your son into the world. And Lord, now that we, as your followers of the body of Christ, you live among us, you work through us. As the salt of the earth, we enhance your work around us, the flavor of your spirit. Today, Lord, we want to come and remember and receive and be empowered to be salt, to be light. So we ask your blessing on us as we come to the table. We ask that you form us with this identity of salt and light and that you transform us with courage. That we be good news to our neighborhoods. In your son's name we pray. Amen.